0: Mindfully breathing always brings us right here, right now with what we're doing at the moment. Um, also, just, uh, just for uh, clarity, we all just finished doing uh, the seventh and the eighth element of the eight mindfulness trainings. The seventh element being uh, mindfulness is coming into the present moment. And uh, the eighth element concentration on our breathing. So we're already doing the full path. Uh, I think first I'd like to thank Peggy for challenging my practice. They just let her know I will get even. That, that may not be beneficial speech or thinking, by the way. But. Um, Actually, no. i I was really honored to, to be invited to speak at uh, to speak at our third refuge this ago. And uh, again, thanks for that. <clears throat> if anybody's expecting a, an intellectual or a deep philosophical discussion of the discourse on the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, uh, you'll probably be disappointed because that's not what I'm doing tonight. I'm going to be sharing some of my. <laughs> I'm going to be sharing some of my personal practice with, uh, and hopefully along the way incorporating the elements of the Eightfold Path and the examples I use, or this, the stories I tell or whatever with this, and, um, and also uh, I will get you, I'm going to read part of the discourse in a bit. We will actually read some of the discourse and the turning of the wheel of, of, of Dharma. Um, I'd like to, uh, I would like to very briefly put in a plug for the five remembrances. There's a lot to, I will read them in a minute, but there's a lot of, uh, negativity with that and, oh, what a downer and, and, oh, how morbid. And, uh, so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just share briefly, share each of the five remembrances and... Just make a short comment on each one about what it means to be in my practice because I recite these every day with my sitting meditation. Oh, uh, here we go. <clears throat> the five remembrances. I am of the nature to. Uh, I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old, and it's just the truth. You can't really argue that. It's just. It's just, just true. When I do this in my meditation, it's um, I find myself in a lot of gratitude for having all the years I've had and all the history, past history I can bring to the moment. And uh, hopefully with age comes wisdom, or a little more wisdom than I had when I was younger. So that's kind of on the first remembrance. On the second remembrance, I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape ill health. Um, for this one, what comes to mind on my meditation with ill health is uh, again, it's a truth. Uh, being an RN for 30 years, I've been well exposed to ill health and suffering that it could cause. But for me, it's a great practice opportunity. Whether it's my own ill health and working this last two weeks with patients and trying to be a little self care and kindness with this. Or whether it's uh i recently had a friend who was fighting breast cancer no No, i'm sorry uterine cancer and what an opportunity for a practice to be able to be with her and listen to her and talk with her and so again on that's on that remembrance it's just a great practice i'm of the nature to die there's no way to escape death Um, and for me on this in my meditation i usually Bring up and bring to mind. um, I I bring to mind that um, every every moment and every day is valuable, and I could die tomorrow, or a friend I was going to call that didn't might die tomorrow, and so it enriches my daily practice to look at to look at the remembrance that way. Uh, The fourth of the five remembrances. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. Parents, brothers, sisters, children. It's just the truth. And for me, this says, okay, make everything out of every moment you have right now. With the people you have in your life right now. Your family, your friends, your, your, your Dharma family. Uh, because it's impermanent. It's just, just the truth. It's impermanent. The fifth of them is my actions. Um, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. And for this, it um, reminds me to use my power of choice real carefully and to choose wisely and beneficially what my actions are going to be. So, hopefully, that was a plug for that. <laughs> five remembrances and we'll put that away. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to say just a few few brief words about my practice and people have, who know me have heard me say that uh, everything's practice uh, just a minute ago we did our breathing it was practice um, everything every day, every minute of every day is practice now I don't always remember this it's hard to be consciously aware sometimes slip back into the hubbub of our daily lives and oh wait a minute this is practice and so, I make an attempt to bring myself back to practice, and again that fits into the eight-pole pathway with uh, with right thinking and, uh, and and right awareness, right mindfulness. Um, I had a I had a, a neighbor come over relatively angry last week, uh, wanting me to wanting to know what I was going to do with that damn tree that in my yard that was growing over into her yard. And well, was I going to trim those branches or what? And she was, she was angry. Her face it? She was actually angry about this. And I'm standing there right there, and I thought, okay, okay, okay. What, what, what do I need from the 8 pathway on this one? And I, yeah, I remember seeing I remember seeing her having to bend over and do some little extra work to, to get out of the way of the branches of my tree in her yard to get her yard work done. And I thought, okay. I said, uh, so I said, you know, you're right. That that's kind of right in your way. Uh, so if you'll wait until Wednesday when I'm off, I'll come over to your yard with my ladder and I'll trim the branches off because they're coming over the fence. And you could just see the anger leave her. Just immediately the anger left her face. And she wasn't sure what to say, so she said, Oh, okay then. <laughs> what, no <laughs> now no, I have to do the right action, to make sure I get those branches trimmed tomorrow. <laughs> but that's again a little simple, everything is practicing a daily thing. Um, Walmart's always uh, practice challenge for me um when i was at walmart the other day, one of the ladies uh, there was a there was a gal in a market motorcycle i call them those big cart things that the kind of partially disabled people drive around came around the corner hit my cart, rammed into my uh, hip knocked my eggs over and my immediate reaction was what the hell are you doing <laughs> you watching where you're that was an immediate thought i had but because of practice, I was able to stop and, and take a breath, and um, I just simply said, "Here, let me get here, let me back up out of your way so you can get around this corner better." And she kind of looked at me and said, "Oh, thank you," and went on her way. Again, an opportunity for practice, and again the the full path, which we we will get to with the with the discussion. Um, there's two quotes and then enough about my, the generalities of my little daily practice. One uh, one I really like is from Sunry Suzuki in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. And uh, the quote is, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities, in the experts there are but few. And I'm grateful to report that 95% of the time I feel like the beginner is certainly not an expert. So I'll hold on to that one. Also in the same book he tells a story that kind of describes my practice a little bit. Uh, there was a Zen master at a zendo, I think it was a Soto Zen tradition, uh, uh, zendo in Northern California, that was sitting, sitting meditation and facing the wall. And um, they had tourists coming in and out and seeing the zendo, and and most of them were quiet and respectful and had their shoes on. But there was this one particular tourist that came up and and, and he looked, and, and, you know. He, he he looked at the Zen master sitting there meditating. And he walked around behind him. And he went over to the other side and he looked. And um, and finally he well he looked over at the wall to see what the heck this this Zen master was staring at. And so finally he got right in front of the Zen master and he said, Ben said, are you enlightened? And the Zen master looked at him and says, Not at the moment. <laughs> And that's like my practice. I, I enjoy enlightenment once in a while, but a lot of times I'm in not at the moment. So again, the Eightfold Path helps me, helps me pull back in. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse some of my pronunciation as I struggle through this with this voice. Uh, but this is a discourse on turning of the wheel of Dharma, which of course is the endless cycle of birth and living samsara and death and birth. Samsara. But the reason the reason Peggy found this thing for me when I was talking when we were discussing about a talk was uh, I'm kind of, uh, kind of basic really keep it simple eightfold path type practice and this was the perfect dharma for that. This is what I have heard. At one time, the world honored one was staying near Vanessa and Ispatana in the Deer Park. At that time, the World-Honored One addressed a group of five monks, saying, Bhikkhus, there are two extremes that a monk should avoid. What are the two? The first is a devotion to sensual desire and the pleasure resulting from sensual desire. Such devotion is base, pedestrian, worldly, ignoble, and unbeneficial. The second is devotion to harsh austerity. By not following either of these extremes, Tathagata has realized the middle way, that gives rise to seeing and understanding. This seeing and understanding are at the base, basis of peace, knowledge, full awakening and nirvana. What is the middle way, bhikkhus, that the Tathagata has realized that gives rise to seeing and understanding when that seeing and understanding are the basis of peace, knowledge, full awakening and nirvana? It is the Noble Eightfold Path consisting of right view, right thinking, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right diligence, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is a middle way, bhikkhus, that the Tathagata has realized that gives rise to seeing and understanding when that seeing and understanding are the basis of peace, knowledge, full awakening, and nirvana. And for the rest of this discourse on turning the wheel uh, of Dharma, uh, I'll leave some copies out there. If I want some, unless you had some for the, study, for the study on Thursday. I think it doesn't <coughs> copy somewhere. And just to augment that, I wanted to read a short, just a short quote here from uh, this is uh, Ted Khan, the heart of the Buddhist teaching. The Buddha offered the Eightfold Path in his first Dharma talk. He continued to teach the Eightfold Path for 45 years and in his last Dharma talk spoke to Zabhadra he offered the Noble Eightfold Path. A Noble Path of Eight Limbs suggests the interbeing nature of these eight elements of our path. Each limb contains all the other seven. Please use your intelligence to apply the elements, the noble eightfold path in your daily life. So, the rest is going to be personal stories. <laughs> That's all the intellectual stuff I'm doing. One little point I wanted to make was, uh, I had a I had a personal problem with right this, right that, right wrong, going to the judgmental type thing. Uh, Technikon offered a, a possible substitution for right and wrong as beneficial or non-beneficial. Beneficial being uh, beneficial uh, uh, being uh, conducive to decreasing suffering and to watering watering those positive seeds and the beneficial seeds that are wholesome. Unbeneficial, of course, the opposite of that, which would be uh, causing suffering for ourselves or causing suffering for someone else or, or watering our unwholesome seeds, like. You know the the, the baddies like greed and envy and anger and those kind of things. So so sometimes I use beneficial and, and non beneficial. It helps my practice better than going into right and wrong. Um, I was kind of a, I was kind of a practicing Buddhist before I ever long 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 before I ever knew it. I I just I, I discovered and pursued a. a a formal, a formal Buddhist practice course with readings and studying and stuff like maybe 10 years ago. I think it's been about 10 years ago now. But I graduated from high school in 1969 and I uh, I graduated June 6th and I was in the Navy in San Diego June 7th. And in boot camp they took classifications and they assess, and so they classified for what specialty you were going into and they, they, they asked you some, some questions. And so the first, the classification author asked what I was interested. In. I said, "Well, I won't carry a gun and I won't shoot anybody." And he looked at me kind of funny. Says, "Why did you join the service?" And I said, "I just, uh, it's just something I'm, I i will not do." Um, so right there, I think I was, I think I was experiencing some personal, uh, eightfold pathway stuff in right thinking. Uh, right mindfulness and being non-harming and right action in telling the recruiter or the classification officer I wouldn't carry a gun and I wouldn't shoot anybody well the classification officer next to him looked over with this kind of funny look on his face and he says oh I've got a specialty for you uh, we'll make you a hospital corpsman you don't have to carry a gun or shoot anybody you're treating the wounded and I thought okay great I can do that it didn't occur to me the reason they needed a hospital corpsman so bad at that time is because they were all getting killed in Vietnam now that that didn't occur to me, but what a great benefit I got in the, in again the eightfold path. It gave me right livelihood. It gave me a whole career of. It gave me a whole career of helping and easing pain and easing suffering and caring for people that that's I I think's right 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 on for right livelihood. Uh, and right livelihood, it's uh, for those. And I, I don't know how familiar people are with that. The right livelihood, is a way of, of living and earning a living and making a living, uh, existing that doesn't involve any kind of harm. Like it probably wouldn't be cool for a Buddhist to work in a munitions factory. I don't know. So I was, I was grateful for that, and uh, it led to a 30-year, 30-year uh, career as a nurse. And one of my, most of the time I worked surgical intensive care units, but I also did a lot of hospice nursing. And I also worked for several years, or oh, for three or four years in a drug and alcohol rehab inpatient hospital where, uh, where I was an RN and also counselor and case manager. And I, in, in that position, Oh, I'm okay, I'm going to speed this. In that position, there are four rules that go away, that I learned long before I was doing a Buddhist practice. Uh, the first rule, it was for having a happy and successful life. And the first rule, when we were working with families, was acknowledge what's true without a judgment. And, uh, like, am I an alcoholic? Yeah, that's true. Is that good or bad? Well, it's neither, it's just true. Uh, it could be bad if i'm in relapse and drinking and causing suffering it could be good if i'm in recovery and helping another alcoholic. so without judgment the second thing was to, uh, second rule is accept accountability and responsibility for for my life and my actions which kind of falls in with right diligence on the eightfold path. that uh, diligently uh, be responsible and and, and and practice as best i can my booze the third rule was forgive yourself and forgive others. And you know what? What a wonderful Buddhist gift to forgive somebody, forgive yourself, and to be able to forgive somebody else's Right speech, right right action, right intentions of, of, of easing somebody else's suffering. And uh, oh, what was the fourth one? Oh. <laughs> use your power of choice life so when you're mindfully looking at something and have some right thinking along the lines of what's beneficial uh, you're able to make a, a right choice as opposed to a lot of wrong choices that all of us kind of fall into sometimes let's see if I can speed this baby <laughs> um, My, my my personal formal Buddhist uh, practice was developed in a prison setting. I was in prison for uh, for felony DUIs, and prison is a place that has a Oh, I oh. thought <laughs> I was getting dinged. <laughs> prison is a place that has uh, no limit of dukkha of suffering and pain and anger and all of the kinds of things. It's also one of the most fertile grounds I know of for Buddhist practice. Um, I was initially attracted to Buddhism because I was looking for something spiritual to help me, and Buddhism was the only tradition I could find. I hadn't spent the last 2,500 years killing off other religions, because <laughs> it gets rules killed. So, uh, so I started, started my Buddhist practice formally, and, and doing some study, and doing some Sangha, my, my prison, my prison life and prison existence, and how I functioned in prison, greatly affected my Buddhist practice, and my Buddhist practice greatly affected how I was able to turn my time in prison into such a benefit for myself and for other people too. I think so. So that was my uh, official thing. Um, one of my other struggles with, was with my d- disease of alcoholism, and I'm in a, reading a book right now, again with my Buddhist practice, it's called The Twelve Steps on the Buddhist Path. The Twelve Steps being the Twelve Steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous Program, and uh, Alcohol and Recovery, you've got a Buddhist practice, applies them to, uh, applies the Twelve Steps to the Eightfold Path, this book, so I'm, I'm doing that right now. So. Um, I'm going to do two more short things here and then go ahead and close. So we have some time for discussion. Oh, where's my okay, other? So you Nobody know ever stayed in their time box for the first time. Oh, that means I can keep talking in my voice less? <laughs> Being too diligent, <laughs> um, Again numerous times during the day, most days, most days that are good days, uh, I'm able to um, I'm able to stop, breathe, and say, okay, what part of the what part of the eightfold path is needed here? Is this a time that somebody needs some just some deep listening and compassion? Is it is it uh, is it a time when I need to stop <coughs> stop what I'm doing and breathe and, and, and recenter and uh, and try to come up with the right answer for whatever little situations pop up in life. And uh, I call them life's colorful little pageants. Some of them are some of them are positive good, some of them are not so good, not so positive, but they're all life's colorful little pageants. And so what is their meaningful the pathway that that I need in that situation? Uh, for instance my car dying yesterday, I bought a newer I was and so I was investing too much money in an older truck and repair bills. so I bought a newer truck it's just died on me yesterday <laughs> now I could have thought and I might have thought maybe I might have thought oh I can't believe this is happening Jeez, I just bought this truck because so of repair bills because my other one wasn't running and now it's stopped right here in the middle of the road and it's probably going to cost me four or five hundred dollars and God only knows what's wrong with this truck that's one, that's one path of thinking I could have chose. the other path of thinking that I did but it took a minute was, uh, was, oh, at least I died on Arthur Street and it was a great place to turn off so I wasn't stuck with a dead truck in the middle of the road. Uh, I mean, it was where I had some good friends I could call for help and, uh, and, uh, glad that, uh, the car behind me, I was glad the car behind me was able to stop when I died (laughs) in time that they didn't ruin me. So there was there was two different ways to think of thinking that, and uh, fortunately, after a little, after a few brief moments, I went, I got to the more beneficial way of thinking about that, as opposed to the more unbeneficial way of creating suffering for myself and probably being a tad bit pissy with anybody I talked to later that day. So again, small things, small things in, in the practice. Sometimes I ask myself. These on an anniversary dates or New Years or uh, occasionally, but I've been doing it more often. Uh, I've been asking asking my to evaluate my practice, and some I got this card here somewhere. It's got to be from here because I think this is Rowan Conrad's altar. <laughs> is that Rowan's altar? Okay, oh, <clears throat> And it's called looking at my practice. And it's just kind of of a way of doing a self review and seeing how I'm doing. Am I calmer and more present in my non-meditation life? I have Has my internal judgmental chatter ceased or stopped about self, about others? Am I increasingly spontaneous, kind, and generous? Is my speech consistently kind, responsible, and non-harming? Am I doing focused daily practice, including at least 20 minutes of meditation? Do I understand and implement the practice of gardening my seeds? Am I usually free from avoidances and defenses such as chemicals, TV sports, novels, work, project obsessions, avoidant eating or shopping? Am I increasingly proactive rather than reactive? Do I increasingly know moment to moment what I'm thinking, feeling? doing, intending, and saying. When things happen, do I own my own reaction and not project the blame to others? And this last one's kind of a killer. (laughs) Is the pace of my life slowing, not caught by work, projects, and worldly doings? Last one's a killer. Uh, the last thing I want to end with is all of the elements all, all of the Eightfold Path are interrelated, and each one is contained in the other. And it's kind of hard not to have one without having the other. And I don't know if it's a Theravada tradition, but pre- concentration, more in concentration, and meditation to get to right actions and right moral behaviors. Are, and it's a Mahayana that's more concentrated on on the first ones, the, the right action, the right speech, that leads to better uh, meditation and concentration. But anyway, they're all interrelated, no matter where, but where the emphasis is. And they're, we're all interrelated, and I have a favorite poem I like to read, and it speaks to uh, the interconnectors of all of us in the room. <clears throat> this is from Hemingway's book, uh, For whom the bell tolls? No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends, or of thy own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never stand to know for whom the bell tolls. It tools for me. I think that's my voice is going. <laughs> Thank you.